Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream Q&A podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Thanks for spending part of your Saturday with us. Before we get started, next Saturday's episode is actually being moved to Monday. Uh, so for scheduling reasons, we'll be on next Monday, October 18th at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern with Lit Manager Jeff Portnoy of Bellevue Productions. So all you John Zalzirny Bellevue Productions fans who have listened to our live streams with John and uh, Zach Zucker, you should definitely stop by and say hi. But today, we've got back on the show our writer and filmmaker who worked on the sci-fi series Deadly Class, which was produced by the Russo brothers of Avengers fame, uh, and visionary comic creator Rick Remender. He's also the host of podcasts such as the popular Screenwriters Rant Room and the WGA West's podcast Third and Fairfax, and is the co-chair of the WGA's Committee of Black Writers. He is Mr. Hilliard Guest, a.k.a. Hilldog, a.k.a. the coolest dude in podcasting. Welcome back to the show. welcome back welcome back how are you i'm great man thanks for having me it's always good to see you kev it's always good to see you now you've been on the podcast before but it was in a a group discussion we had where we were talking about diversity which i'm sure will come up but uh i wanted to have you back on excuse me to talk about all things hilliard in your world all the stuff that you've got going on your areas of expertise um which are many. So uh, let's just jump into it. First off, I don't think we got really as much of your background as I would love to have sort of dived into. So let's start off. uh, And for those who may not have heard the previous episode, uh, although you can go back and listen to it, it's great. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get involved in the industry, you know, in being a TV writer, filmmaker, and all that kind of stuff? Well, I was born in Detroit. Um, and then we moved to Brooklyn when I was like two or something, <clears throat> a military brat, the youngest of five and like that cat. And we, um, we ended up moving to the Bay area when I was seven and we moved to a place called Palo Alto, which mm. I always make the joke about cause people, people are always like, Oh, Stanford. I'm like, no, bitch, right. the East side, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the other side, <clears throat> what we call the dangerous mind side. See, if you ever saw the movie dangerous mm, minds, that was the school in our neighborhood. Oh, and so. I grew up, you know, in the number three, like most dangerous place in America to live. We didn't know that when we moved there. So that was fascinating. <laughs> and we get there and we're pretty much this black, white family, meaning we're all black, but we all like, well, gee, dad, we were like fully on like those type of kids. Right. So we were like straight out of the Brady Bunch, you know. <clears throat> and so we moved to the neighborhood and, you know, we were being bullied and punked and all that. And we had to change our ways really quickly wow you know and i started hanging around some of the wrong crowds you know started getting to the the break dance kind of gang life if you will because that's what was going on in the early 80s and yeah. late 70s and stuff and started hanging around those cats and eventually started doing musical theater on a whim it just so happened we used to go down and break dance on the we call it the white side which is the stanford <laughs> side you know what I'm talking about, Kev. Um, <laughs> we go and break dance on the other side to make money. Mm-hmm. And and we would, you know, be out on the corner by Burger King or whatever. And the only place to go to the bathroom that would allow us to go mm-hmm. if you didn't buy something, yeah. I had to go a couple blocks over to the, the professional children's theater. And so I would pop in there and I just happened to pop in one day when they were having auditions. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> and they were like, oh, you're here to audition. I was like, well, what's that? And they're like, oh, you just got to sing a song and dance. Now, I always could kind of sing. Right. And and dancing came naturally to me. So me and my homeboys, even though we'd be out there break dancing, 
I would be the guy who would do an extra spin. I could kick and hold my leg up to hear, you right, know, right. I that. Always doing extra, I'm the gay dude, duh. And so, um, so I said, fuck it. So I went and peed and I went and auditioned, <laughs> this, you know, I was in this show. They were like, oh, you're going to be in the front. Nice. <laughs> because the way they teach kids in musical theater, mm-hmm. well, the back then, it was like in one step, two step, three step, four. I was like, you guys have got to be kidding me. This is it. You know, so I'm adding extra spins. I'm kicking. They were like, oh, yeah, he's in the front. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So luckily what that did, I'm telling you the story because it actually saved my life. So my homeboys end up becoming much worse mm. as we got into the around 84 when, you know, crack came into the neighborhood. It got bad and they really started gangbanging and all that. Wow. It got bad. Mm-hmm. So what saved me was I was in theater. So I literally from the time I was 12 to the time I was, I don't know, maybe 16, 17, mm-hmm. I was just musical theater, you know, every single week. I probably had two months out of a year when I wasn't doing theater. Wow. You know, yeah, yeah literally. <clears throat> and I was back to back, West Side Story, Chorus Line, anything that was going on where they needed a brother like me, I was in it. Right. So anyway, so that's that was like how that came that I got to be doing that. But also what happened in 84 is I... I was on the white side all the time. So I, I started running into all the punk rockers and the skinheads and the mods and all those other kids. And I got into that right before high school. And so that took me all through high school. I was fully into that scene. I was riding around on vintage scooters and listening to ska and reggae music. And I've always been that cat. So I've always been the outsider. I'm telling you this long story so you get a little bit of who I am as a writer. Yeah, no, so. I mean, part of this podcast is listening to your story in hopes that other people out there can draw from aspects, right. you know, that are similar. Yeah. So no, okay. please I mean, go on. Gather around the catfire then. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, so I've always been this underdog, you know, outsider type of cat. So I literally was that guy, you know, Pee Wee Herman came out in 84 and I rode around in 60 suits and like these old vintage, you know, Vespa scooters and stuff, <clears throat> you know, fucking eyeliner and crazy haircuts. And so people were like, dude, that's the, the black Pee I was I was the black Pete Herman of my neighborhood. And okay. so and I always say I had to be one tough motherfucker to be in that neighborhood. Yeah. Dressed the way that I was and nobody would fuck with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right on. So I had to earn that though. People had to get knocked out a couple of times to figure that <laughs> <it> out. <laughs> you know, being honest with you. So anyway, um and so Later on, I ended up moving to L.A., moved to San Francisco. I was working there, doing lots of theater. I started getting guest spots on a few TV shows, and um, I was touring with, with singers and rappers and pop stars and stuff. You know, Some of that started happening. I was mm-hmm. you know, getting lots of videos and all that. And eventually, I moved to L.A. to come here to be an actor. And that was going really, really well for me, and something happened. I did this thing that I always tell everybody, you ever listen to my show, I talk about pivoting a mm-hmm. lot. <clears throat> and a friend of mine approached me about going with him to um, go produce this movie in Utah for a month. And I said, yes. You know, had no idea this would ever happen to me. And I went and he just happened to be this huge Oscar winning, you know, producer. And he started teaching me, and this isn't to be offensive to anybody, he taught me the karate kid style. Like he did that thing where he had me do weird jobs. I'm like, why am I doing this stupid thing? Right. What happened was, here's a small example. He would say to me, all right, Hilliard, this is going to be the building where all of the, you know, all the, um, the production buildings going to be in here, mm-hmm. right? All the different 
um, departments are going to be in here. Here's the list of all the departments. I want you to go on every door and put every every different department, you know, their their names and the appropriate whatever on every door. And I'm going, I don't even know who the people are, right? But I'd met the star and I went, let me think like a fish. Hmm. If I was her, where would I want my office? And then I'll build from her. So he would literally drop me off to do shit like that and leave and come back two hours later. <laughs> you know what I mean? And see what I did and be like, wow, dude. And he's like, I told you, you're a producer. I knew it. <laughs> you know, you're fearless, you know? And so little things like that started happening to me. And I got really close to this actress. And she was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, one day I always figured out how to hire somebody to write this script. She's like, what's it about? And I was like, oh, you don't want to hear about it. She's like, well, we got 20 minutes before we get to where we're going. We were, I was driving her to the set. Mm -hmm. And I told her this story. And, and I'd never told it to a soul before in my life. And I was in tears when I was finishing. Wow. And I look over and she said, stop the call. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, what did I do? <laughs> we're heading up fucking, you know, Utah, you know, mm -hmm. um, um, heading up to Sundance. And I, and I was like, oh, I pull off the road and she's just staring out the window. And she wipes her eyes. She was, she was crying too. And she was like, you have to write that. And I was like, me? She's like, you have to write that. Nobody's going to write it like that. Mm -hmm. They'll be able to write it, but they won't have that soul in it like you just told me. And that stuck with me. And I got home a week or two later. I come from San Francisco. I used to sit at coffee shops and stuff. So I was sitting at Marco's coffee shop here in West Hollywood. <clears throat> Ran into a writer friend of mine. I told him what happened. And he goes, oh, here's Final Draft. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> and he was like, it's the, you know, the software to write scripts. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, shit, I've been reading scripts since I was 12 years old. I've probably read hundreds of them by now. And I took it home and I put that sucker in my old little mm -hmm. dinosaur, you know, laptop I had. And I, I literally stared at the screen and I wrote, I know what this is. I know what I want to say. And I went, exterior London, 1964. I never want to act again. Like that. Wow. Like that. And mind you, I was recurring on two different shows at the same time, by the way, mm. that had just back to back had just finished. Right. You know, the shows had just got canceled. <clears throat> and so, um, so that was the big pivot for me. And I was That's like, That's a pretty big pivot. I, it was huge. I thought, you know, since I was 12 years old, I was going to be an actor, you know, and all that. <clears throat> and wrote this. I started writing the script, took me about a year. And next thing I know, I was online. It was very early on in 2002, 2003. And I saw Sundance. And I was like, what is mm -hmm. that? You know, it's a, it's a cool thing that I always tell writers about when you're innocent and you don't know anything, mm -hmm. you take more risks. Yeah. You know, the, the things that we know now, we're like, well, we can't do that because they wouldn't like that. Right. Whereas when, when you're not that, you go, I don't care. I'm going to try it. Right, you right, know? right. And so I submitted it to Sundance and... Three or four months later, it was like quarterfinals. A few months later, semifinals. A few months wow. later, finals. I was like, and all of a sudden, I got on that list. And it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? And I'm getting calls and emails and everything. So my best friend just happens to be his husband, one of the biggest directors in town. So I sat down with him. And he's like, what do you think you should do? I said, I think I need to really learn how to do this. And he's like, what about your acting? I says, I think I'm done. He was like, really? Now, mind you, one of the shows I was on was one of his. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so he was like, really? I was like, I'm done. And I gave him an example. I know I'm talking a lot here. <clears throat> but I gave him an example of why. And I bet you can relate to this, kid. I was telling him about how 
when I was on a set in my trailer on the set, you know, in the middle of a scene on the stage, you know, doing a performance and the audience laughed or cried or whatever, that's the feeling I had when I was writing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I don't have to wait to get this feeling. I can get this every time. Right. 20 something years later, I still have that feeling when I write, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, if I could feel this now, I never need to do that again. Yeah. And that's how I was able to stop. Yeah. So that was my long winded story. No, that's great. That's great. And again, a lot of it is we'd love to hear your individual <clears throat> personal story because there are those out there who may have not the same story obviously no one has the same exact story but elements of it that could help them because you know every writer faces those moments of am i going to make it can i make it will i succeed and if they see some of themselves in in you and your background maybe they're like oh well, if he can make it maybe i can too you know what i mean um there's things they can relate to or avenues they didn't think about um you know or think people who are second guessing their choice to make that pivot that transition and you did it. So maybe they think, well, if, if it worked out, maybe it'll work out for me too, as opposed to, well, that'll never work out. And, and then not ever trying, even though that's their passion. So no, I love I think, to hear it. I think there might also be a little bit of, and I'm not sure you know, we haven't really, you know, gotten deep into your background whenever we spoke before, <clears throat> but I, I don't know if it's also just a little bit about where I'm from being mm. a black man, like we got to work harder, like all those things come into play. Right. And so, so there's a little bit of what, being I'm I'm a lot more willing to take a risk than probably most people well, are. Yeah, maybe because you have to, right? Yeah, yeah. You know. So my me being able to pivot comes to me very naturally. I'm right. scared, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to do this thing. Right. And you, you know, and you got to think about it and work out your pros and cons and all that, but I I go into it with excitement and we'll get into it later because I'm in the middle of a big pivot right now which I'll tell you about later. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's 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 a fascinating thing. No, that's yeah. great. Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear about the the, the big pivot, if, as if the previous pivot wasn't a big pivot, but the the new big pivot, I guess. It's a big one. Yeah, a big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, if those of you in the live stream chat, if you have questions for Hilliard, uh, drop them in the chat, and uh, we'll get to them just as soon as we can. But I, I did want to talk to you more about uh, so your your transition from acting to screenwriting. We heard about how it sort of started the genesis of it if you will how did you what was your sort of your first paid gig like wow i'm actually a paid writer on a film set uh, or in a writer's room or, or how how did that transition actually happen and, and what was it like for you again having been an actor your entire career having made this gigantic pivot unsure i mean maybe you believed in your mind that it would work because you know, when you're sort of younger, when you're naive, you don't know that how hard it really is. Looking back on it now, I mean, like, when did you go, wow, okay, this is, this is going to work out? Or is that something that, that, that moment that it hit you? And when was it? And what, how did it happen? I think it's kind of like, what I always thought I would just be an actor. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it just so happened, I was a really good dancer, and I could kind of sing. Right. You know what I mean? So I'm somebody that I'm like, ooh, they're auditioning for that? I could, you know, I'm sure I can get it at the, I, the dancing part I can get. I wonder if I can get it as a singer. Like, I'll challenge myself. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I'm like literally that guy. So the same thing happened with me being a writer. Like, I'm like, can I do this? You know, can I succeed? Yeah. You know, we're talking about the early 2000s, you know, literally just about 20 years ago. <clears throat> and so it was, it was, 
it wasn't easy. But what happened for me was because my name had went on that Sundance list at that time, it all of a sudden, what, what happened was one of the um, producers reached out to me who I knew who used to, we used to be with the same management company as actors. And he had started his own production company years later. And he saw, he was like, Hill, I just saw you on, you're writing now? I was like, I was like, yeah, I wrote this script. And he's like, dude, you got any, any, any horror scripts? And I was like, well, I'm toying with this thriller idea. I guess if I add some blood to it, <laughs> maybe it could be a horror. Right, right. He's like, well, tell me about it. So I came to his office and I soft pitched it to him and he was like, boom, he bought it in the room, right? So <clears throat> that was in 2004. Well, I was already done with acting. Mm -hmm. And I was still going to dance class like four or five days a week. Like I just fucking let hip hop dance. Right? Yeah, yeah. And this director was watching me in the room. Because what happens is we would do the choreography, you know, full out, go through the whole routine. And when it was over, me and my friend Tugar, who was like one of um, J-Lo's dancers, <clears throat> we would do it together to show everybody how it's supposed to look, right? Right. And so and he, every every single day, he'd be like, you too, go, right? he turned the thing on and we get it. So he was just staring there watching us. So when it was over, he came up to me, he's like, dude, you're fucking badass. I'm about to do Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I think you'd be perfect. I was like, Hedwig, I just saw the movie. Like, what the fuck am I doing, Hedwig? Right. He's like, I'm doing something different. So, somehow he talked me into it, and I went back to the th to the stage again. And there's another thing you don't know about me, Kevin. I'm a bit of a theater snob. So, even though I've been in probably 300 casting sessions, I literally will look at people's resume. If you haven't done theater, I'm like, eh, eh. You ain't real. You ain't serious about that. I, I was the same way when I was casting my student films. Same way. <laughs> I'm serious. You look for the, those yeah. specific theater credits because you know yes. that they're not doing it just to be famous. You know that they right. they at least appreciate the craft, right? Right, right. You not know? just scene study one on one. I'm like, nah, dude. Right. I can't or cold that. reading. They took a cold reading class and they <laughs> no. want to be in, in movies no. to be famous, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So anyway, um, what was I just telling you? Forget that. I forgot my whole damn theory. I was talking about. Uh, what am I talking about? Hedwig and the Angry Itch. Oh, so I ended up doing Hedwig, mm -hmm. which turned out out of West Side Story, all the shows I've ever done, mm -hmm. the best show I'd ever done. Well, that show kept getting extended. <laughs> and then that movie that I wrote ended up going into production. Wow. Well, it was my first movie. Mm -hmm. This is literally six to nine months later they were shooting this movie, Right. And so I was like, I have an opportunity here to be on a set. You know, I got a co-producer credit on the thing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so I had to quit, you know, Hedwig, which is the best show I'd ever been in in my entire life at that time. Mm -hmm. And so the whole team, the whole um, cast decided they didn't want to do the show without me. Right. So we all stopped doing the show. Wow. It was deep. Yeah. It was deep. So still to this day, it's like, oh, my God, that show. So anyway, so I went to go see them shoot my movie. And, and, and there's a couple of lessons in here I want to tell a couple of people. So we all, as, as writers, the most important thing to us is to, A, become a produced writer. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. So <clears throat> you always have to have your why. Right? So my why, why was I willing to take this? It was a low-budget movie, by the way. <clears throat> Why was I willing to make this low budget movie? I needed the credit and I needed something produced, right? 
So I thought I was being really slick, Kev. I was like, cool, I'm going to get a co-producer credit. He offered me like half a point. I'm going to be rolling. Right. right? right. It's a horror movie. This thing is dope. You know, it's fast paced. It's whatever, right? So all of a sudden, they go to AFM like a year or so later, mm -hmm. and they sell it. And then if you've ever been to AFM, mm -hmm. they just have it up on the monitor. And, you know, the, the sales people come in, and they look at the trailer, and they – Yes or no, and they put how much money they're getting. I mean, it just goes like this. Right. Next, in three hours, I think we sold to seven or eight countries. Like right. boom. So here's the here's the lesson. So I get a call. Hey, we sold it to here. I was like, yeah. I was like, dude. So where's my money at? Right, right, right. Right. What do you mean? Where's your money? I was like, well, don't I get? He goes, look at your contract again. So I look at my contract with my lawyer. He's like, oh, I see what the problem is. You, he agreed to give you this money domestically. Hmm. He sold internationally. Gotcha. See, the thing I learned now, now that I know how to look at these contracts and agreements and mm -hmm. stuff before I didn't, is, is he knew that he wasn't planning to do it domestically. Right. He knew his crowd was internationally, you know, China and Germany yeah, and all yeah, these yeah. other different divisions. So, so I was like, damn, dude, I got jacked. But then I went, wait a minute. I got what I wanted, though. Yeah. I wanted to produce credit. Right. Well, ultimately, you, know I mean? you take what you can get at that, exactly. that first Exactly. Exactly. So, so that was my first experience there, for sure. No, that's cool. And, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, when he, if he came back for a sequel, then it's like, well, now we got to renegotiate. Right? <laughs> exactly. Or if it turned out to be a big hit like uh, Blair Witch or something or yeah, yeah, Saw yeah. movies, then you got to renegotiate. But, um, <laughs> um, before we, uh, I do have a few more questions, but before okay. we uh, jump into those, I just wanted to say a couple comments from the live stream. Uh, David Wales, who's one of the Scripts and Scribes mods, uh, says, love the alley artwork in Hilliard's background. I did comment it before we came on that I too love that. <laughs> um, I just have a little sketch from my son on my whiteboard here. Um, Harley Gauthier says, it's very inspiring. Thanks for sharing your story, Hilliard. Um Cut to black film. Well, here's a question. If someone wanted to get to where you are now, what advice would you give them? It's a broad question, but a good question. It's a great question. Um, here's the deal. And Kev, you've been in the game for a long time too. Mm -hmm. It's things were different. Like I was telling you guys a story a moment ago about how, you know, 20 years ago when I started writing, um, it, it was harder. You know, the internet wasn't even really a thing. Right. I just happened to come across what the hell, you know, and found Sundance somehow, yeah. <clears throat> you know, in 2002 or whatever it was, it, it wasn't there for me. It's harder because there's more people, but it's easier for you. And I hate to use that word because people are like, Oh, he says it's easier. Right. I don't mean it literally. I just mean in the context of it all. Right. It's easier because you have more access. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you could be on Twitter and get me or Kevin or read your scripts. Now we couldn't do that. Mm hmm. You know, 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't that easy. And so... And the so access like little, to information is so much yes. more readily available. Everything, whether it's research, whether you're Googling subject matter. We had to go to, like, a library and look up magazines right. or books or things, you yeah. know, as well as, like, if you wanted a production company address or an agency address, mm -hmm. you literally had to go get this creative directory thing. Creative directory, yeah. Right? And if you yeah. wanted to, to submit a script for for consideration you had to physically photocopy a script and mail it to them you couldn't just email Facts. them 
right. a query, right? right. So anyway, how many, sorry. How many scripts? Let's just keep this is funny though. Yeah. How many scripts have you made where you're like, damn, there's a typo. I got to get rid of all that or whatever the stupid reason. Like, there's always something. You know, you made yeah. seven, eight copies or twelve copies, and you're like, I can't use none of them. Yeah. You just waste. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I always tried to do it with, when I had a job and you go to the copy room and you just do it on oh, your yeah, lunch yeah. break or something. Because <laughs> otherwise you're paying like 10 bucks a pop, right? At one right. of these copy places. Yeah, it was, it, was not, it was not cheap. I remember finding a guy off of Wilshire. I forget what the place was called. But he would do like my um, – um, like later when I started making movies and stuff, he would do my posters and like oh, all cool. that shit. Just, yeah. He would do my deals. You know, everything yeah, yeah. was like – and he would put together like when like I'd have a stage reading or a table reading or something. Right. And he would do all the scripts for like a package deal, you know. So it would right. saved you a lot of money. Oh yeah. But you know, I'm a little I'm a Virgo, so I'm a little anal. So I like things to look good, right. you know, on the page and whatever. So I want my presentation to look really professional. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it looks um, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, but you were saying that it's it's easier. Although again, that's still relative. It's still hard. Easier now. Then it's just easier now to get the access right, to people, right? You know, and with that, if you're, for example, like um, I have a couple, you know, mentees that I work with, and I'm always telling them, you know, one of them in particular is this brilliant comedy writer who refuses to be on Twitter, and he's like 28 years old. I'm like, dude, right. what are you doing? You know what I mean? He's like, yeah, I don't really care about this stuff. And I'm like, I know you don't like it, mm-hmm. right? You think I want to be on Twitter? I'm a grown ass man. I ain't got no time to be on Twitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But it's not about that. It's about having the access to. It's about keeping yourself out there, mm-hmm. you know, to, um, and it's about putting an investment in yourself. Yeah. You know? And so, so I got him to write, you, you know, on your, on your Twitter, and you can write a little something in your bio about yeah. the type of writer you are or whatever. Yeah. You know, some of us just list the type of shows we've done. Yeah. Or, you know, but but if I was a younger writer, I'd be like, here's the type of writer that I am. Right. I write underdog stories in the murder, death, kill world. Right. You know what I mean? I write I write gritty things with blah, blah, blah. Whatever right. the thing is. Yeah. Catch my attention. You know what I mean? That's what I would be doing, mm-hmm. you know. And so and so circling back when people ask me about the type of writer that I am, when I told you the story about being that black um, Pee Wee Herman in my neighborhood, you get the picture and you see this outsider, this young gay kid in the right. worst neighborhood in the world. And yet, you know, those are the stories I'm attracted to. Those underdog stories. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so even though now I'm hired to write a lot of stuff like biopics and all these other, I always find that little hook of my theme that I like to write. Right. Always. You know, out of the 40 something scripts I've written, I always figure it out. Right. You know what I mean? So I know I jumped, forgive me. Yeah, no, no. I mean, and his question again was, if someone wanted to get where you are now, what advice would you give them? So, I would say this. Yeah. And, and I've said this many times on my own show. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if, I were, if I were a feature writer, I'll start with that first. If I were a feature writer, I'll tell you, here's what I do with a feature writer and here's what I do as a TV writer. If I was a feature writer, and some people are going to hate me for saying it, but I'm going to say it because it's who I am. I would submit to the blacklist. Mm-hmm. And it's probably not as strong as it used to be five, ten years ago, but it used to be that you could submit to the blacklist. You know your 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 feature film. You have to get two coverages. If you get like an eight and higher, all of a sudden everybody wants to read the script. It has. I have sent so many people there and watched them. I've actually had one of my friends uh, about five six years ago. He's a big showrunner 
on comedies and and was trying to pivot into like dark, almost like Fargo type of shit, mm-hmm. like one hour. And his agents were like, hell no, dude, no. Why are you doing this? I read this script. I was like, dude, this script is fucking amazing. You know, what are they talking about? They won't even read it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, put it on there. Let's see what happens. Guess what happened? He got an eight and a nine. And again, guess what happened? A production company hit him up. And then guess what happened? They were in production about, mm, it was like nine to 10 months later. Yeah. Where to God. True story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and guess what he did? He dropped his agent and it was one of the big four. You know? So that's why I always say it's easier now. Mm-hmm. I hate to use that, but it is to at least get the access and to get eyes on you faster. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. We didn't, you didn't have Austin and all that stuff wasn't as hot, you know? But I mean, finally started getting hot, yeah. you know, but it wasn't always, you know. Um, so for TV, if I were a TV writer, here's what I would do. Mm-hmm. I would write a badass pilot that I thought was badass. And you could literally scroll writers along um, um, Twitter. But I'm using Twitter as an example <clears throat> and come across the writer that like Kev. Kev's a working writer. Come across Kev and be like, Kev, I love the shit you do. You know what I mean? If you ever get 10 minutes, can you read just 10 pages of my shit? You'd be surprised how many times Kevin might say yes for 10 pages when he has time. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to get you stuck out there, Kev. But Kevin's <laughs> like, I got a job. <laughs> but you know my point? I yeah, can't yeah. tell you how many writers I've done that for, you know, sure. just because. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my, one of my I, just, I did one about a year ago, for example. Um, he's one of the stars in Hamilton reached out to me. Wow. You know, he started listening to the show. Yeah. And then I just had him on my show like two, like this week, you know, his episode just dropped. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but he reached out to me. He was like, dude, you're fucking amazing and blah, blah, blah. He's like, Hey, I got the script. If you ever have time, would you mind reading? I was like, you know what? It's kind of the beginning of the Rona. I'll stop right now. And nothing happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I stopped, I read it. I gave him some detailed notes and he was really appreciative. You know what I mean? When they came back, he's like, hey, you want to come see the show? I'm playing Aaron Burr. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, well, let's go. You know what I mean? So so I'm saying that to say you can do that now, mm-hmm. you know, but make sure your shit is tight, you know? And I'm going to say this too. Never, ever, ever send a script without the log line. This is my pet peeve, by the way. It might not be yours, Ken. It's mine. Here's why. I probably get... 12 to 15 scripts a week sent to me. Wow. Right? Yeah, it's my little company. And which is not a lot compared to, you know, no, what sure. other companies do. It's a lot to me, <clears> but and yeah. So, <laughs> and so, plus my podcast, you know, it's just a lot, right? Yeah. So what happens is if you and I might have just talked about your pilot you wrote, by the time I get to it in a week, I don't remember what the fuck that was. Mm. Yeah. I remember I remember a little maybe a beat here or there, but let me go back and pick it up and be like, oh, that's the story of this character who does blah, blah, blah. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Don't assume because we talked that I remember. You know what I mean? It's right. a lesson I learned way early in my in my um, in my writing uh, career from another big producer because I didn't do it once. Right. And he went, hey, dude, always send it because I may not remember what it is. Right. You know, so I just had to throw that out while I was on my brain. Um because I get that every other writer out of those 15 a week sends me just here's the script. Right. 
And I'm like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Give me the premise. Give me something. Right. You know what I mean? So right. anyway. So that's what I would do if I was film or TV. Gotcha. If there's any help there. Yeah, no. Uh, that's yeah. good. Uh, David Whale says, Hillier, you seem like you are doing so much. How do you manage it all? Man, it's hard. I'm going to tell you, I'm, and we'll get into my pivot in a minute. <clears throat> I'm burnt. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, ex- I'm extremely exhausted. Because um, not only do I have, you know, my podcast mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the shows that I'm developing, um, I also have, um, you know, uh, I'm in post-production on this documentary I, I shot, you know, that I'm in, it's going to take a while to finish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mainly it's on my off time that I could do it. Right. You know? And so um, there's just a lot going on, you know. My husband keeps, you know, saying he wants to move to Scottsdale. So I'm in Scottsdale every other month. You know what I mean? <clears throat> All he wants to do is look at houses. So it's a lot of pressure, <laughs> you know. So there, there, it's, it's a lot. But I think what keeps one going is loving what you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and that also goes back to what I was saying earlier about being that guy who isn't afraid to dive in and, and, and to try something new or to pivot mm-hmm. is you got to be willing to commit. You know, I'm a very loyal person to my friends and to my husband, to my family, whatever. And so I like to think that it's the same thing with um, with my career. Mm. You know, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. You know, I like I try to be that person. You know what I mean? More than anything, if I'm like if we're developing a, sh- a show and you're like, dude, I would love to have the outline by Wednesday. I'm like, OK, you know, if I say yes. I'm going to have it for you Tuesday night at midnight. You know what I mean? Whatever right. it is. You know what I mean? I try to be that guy. So <clears throat> I think that that's, that's a really important part of it all, mm-hmm. you know, is, is, and, and changing your environment sometimes. Yes. I have a beautiful office here on the lot, but one of the reasons why I don't mind <clears throat> taking a trip to Scottsdale or Palm Springs or something is to just change my environment. And it keeps me feeling fresh, you know, and, and as you know, I, I still have my vintage scooters. I'll take a scooter out for a ride and hit Mulholland, you know what I mean? And just right. breathe, you know, let the wind hit me. And I come back and I'm thinking about stuff, you know, it just makes me feel good. And, you know, I drive my, my Starskin Hutch car, you know, and I blast my reggae and ska music and I just feel great. And it makes me feel excited about the thing. You know what I mean? That's just real talk. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be actually writing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So for sure. I hope that answered the question. No, I think so. I think so. Uh, and if if not, I'm sure David could uh, ask another. He called me. Call me, David. You know my name. <laughs> <laughs> um, Aurélie Gauthier uh, says, "How did you learn screenwriting, and what is the best craft lesson you've learned?" Mm, there's a lot of that. So when I was coming up, um, like I said, I was I was a former actor, so I'd already read many, many, many scripts. Mm-hmm. What I had to learn was how to dissect it from a different point of view. You know, I was looking at it different as an actor, <clears throat> you know, which actually came into, made it easier for me to be a writer, though. I always tell writers who are former actors, it's a lot easier transition. You know, you mm-hmm. understand how to break them down. Now you have to understand why they wrote them the way they did. You know what I mean? And why they did the introduction, why they did the transitions, why they did the whatever. Those are the things, why they structured it like that. Mm-hmm. Those are the things you don't necessarily understand as an actor per se. You know, you if you do it all the time, you know, like on a on a if you're like number one on a fucking 
nine season show, you probably start, you get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But if you're like, you know, doing guest spots, you know, six times a year, you probably haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, um, what happened for me was I'm an avid reader. So when I told you that I sat down with my uh, mentor at the time, <clears throat> after my, my name went on this list, um, he told me what I should do is focus on my writing. So he told me to focus on for the next two years. He said, you should be reading a script. You guys are going to like this every day. Well, don't tell me that. So the thing you don't know is growing up in the neighborhood I grew up in, I didn't graduate from high school. Mm. You know, I was already doing commercials and stuff by the time I graduated high school. So I was right. like, why am I going to school? You know, now what that did, it sounded great at the time. But what it did mentally for me was make me insecure because I'm meeting guys like Kevin who went to this school and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, dude, I didn't do none of that. Right. You know, all I did was have this gift, you know, that I could do. So <clears throat> I did two a day, sometimes three. And you know how long it takes to read a script. Mm -hmm. I would literally get up in the morning, go to the gym, park myself at the coffee shop until seven, eight o'clock at night and just reading scripts, trying to understand why, you know, right. trying to get, and I started to see the patterns. I started to go, oh, oh, that's, oh, so when they do thrillers, it feels like this. Oh, the tone of it is written in this style, and that's why the descriptions are like this. When they do the comedies, it's like this. I read every fucking top script that you could think of that's out there, mm -hmm. and I'm not exaggerating, you know? all the way from Double Indemnity to All About Eve to, you know, Forrest Gump, I mean, anything that was hot, I right. was reading, you know? <clears throat> and what that did was, in my opinion, now where I am now, mm -hmm. it's kind of made me a dangerous writer. And what I mean is, because I have it locked in my head. Right. I can write that, if you look at my scripts, out of the 40-something scripts I've written, they're like so diverse in style too. Because I'll combine a little bit of Craig Mazin's thing he did on that with a little bit of, you know, this person's thing on that because I liked how they did it, you know, and still mm -hmm. in my voice. You right. know what I mean? So, so that's the thing that I did for me. And then what happened was back in the early 2000s, I think leading up to the mid 2000s, mm -hmm. they used to have this thing called, um, um, what was it called? The Screen, Screenwriters Expo. You remember that? I do. <clears throat> so I used to go to Screenwriters Expo and just take classes, you know, with everybody. This was like a two, three year period. I was just like, you know what I mean? Just grabbing everything, you know? And I was, Truby, McKee, you know, fucking Carl Iglesias, like everybody taking some game, reading whatever book they had, boom, 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 boom. Just getting it all in my head because I felt like because I didn't go to school and college and all that, I had to catch up, Right. you know? So I was trying to do it in what I love. You know, I always tell people, you know, some like for his, his perfect example off the subject, my, my sister's son is this big rapper in the Bay Area, right? And she couldn't get him to do well in school at all. She couldn't get him to read a book and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, you know, Tupac got their new book. I bet you $5 he'll read it. Yeah. So I got him the book. Guess what he did? Read the fucking book. Cover to cover said, probably took him in two hours. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then guess what he said? What else do they have out there? Smart. Yeah. You got to get somebody to read the thing that they want to read. Yeah. 
That's the problem. It's the yeah. same thing with your kids. You're going to figure it out. Every Everyone's going to have a different interest. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you find what the key of ingredient is, you will get them to do it. That's how I never got tired or bored or anything, reading scripts every fucking day. Yeah. I was feeling guilty if I did it. You know? Yeah. I was going, Hilliard, you're a black man. You got to be better. You got to be better. Like, that's what I just kept telling myself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I just kept reading. And I would go through and fucking, back then, we were getting higher. It was a hard script. You know, hard copy. So I was highlighting shit that I loved and yeah. looking at looking at passages and the way, you know, that writer would describe a certain theme and going, oh, I love how that's like poetry right there. Oh, I wonder if I could take something like that mm -hmm. in my own way and put it in here. You know what I mean? And I started discovering that. You know what I mean? We take we steal, I hate to say the word, we steal from, you know, the greats. Uh, yeah. All the best you know too. I mean? Right. Right. You know what I mean? So I started doing that. And so and so when people read my first draft of my scripts, they'd be like, dude, this is like, what version is this? I'm like, one. They'd be like, this feels like six. Right. You know, because of how I started teaching myself mm -hmm. to incorporate and to, I was just gathering all this information, you know what I mean? Like this fucking machine. <clears throat> and so in about two years, I think I read 1700 scripts or something wow. like that. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And so, and I always tell people that you are up against me. Right. I'm up against you. Right. So you need to be doing something towards your career <laughs> that makes you better. Right. So even the perfect example, I know I'm jumping a lot. Lean away. Right. My girl. Right. Who I fucking love. Here's what I love about Lena. I remember I had a I had a different office at another place um, years ago at Universal. She came to my office one day. And we were talking before she ever blew up, right? Mm -hmm. Pre that. And she, we were talking, I was talking, to, I think I was about to go shoot this, this film I was going to direct or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And, um, which didn't happen. <laughs> um, and and we, we were talking about where she was in her state. And she was like, you know, I'm out here, you know, struggling, trying to get shit, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But here's what the difference between her and everybody else that I love. She's like, but I have a feeling I'm supposed to be doing like something's about to blow up any day. I want to say it was three months later that her shit turned around, mm -hmm. you know, but she walks around in this spirit of I deserve this thing. You know, you got to be claiming it now. You know what I mean? You got to be claiming that power now. Um, act as if. Act as if. And yeah. I tell writers, writers and actors this all the time. Your best meetings you have are after you just landed a gig. Because hmm. you walk out in power because yeah. somebody just paid you for something. Right. You know, or the experience you just had. It's the same thing as an actor. You know, you and I have been in many casting sessions. You in a casting session, that actor comes in. I go, oh, he just finished some shit. Yeah. I could tell. You know what I mean? He just walked off last night. He's confident. You it's know like what dating, mean? right? Boom. <clears throat> you know, the more desperate you seem, the less likely you are to to get their interest, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, 100%. So I hope I answered that question. I know I, that's why my show is called The Rant Room because I kind of go off, so I apologize. No, all good. <laughs> and actually, that was sort of a, a good segue because you talked about uh, voice and mm -hmm. how you sort of drew from different sources, but then you sort of filtered it into your own voice. And you talked about the themes of being an underdog, being constant 
you know, throughout your work somewhere in there, whether it's sci-fi or horror or action or romance, whatever it happens to be, there's going to be those underlying themes. What can you tell sort of the emerging writers out there who are still kind of finding their voice, what that actually means? Because that's sort of that amorphous concept that a lot of people, like every manager wants to hear, read a script that you can tell the writer's voice, right? Their intention is clear. But a lot of newer writers, emerging writers, writers who uh, aren't at the that level just yet are still trying to find their voice. What advice do you have for those writers out there who are still looking for their voice and, and, and what that actually means? Well, I was talking earlier about how I would read, you know, all of these scripts mm-hmm. and I started seeing their voice. Right. So it started helping me go, oh, so that's how they did their voice. Right. You know, I mean, then you start to go, what are the things that I like? Oh. Well, I tend to write things about gritty underworld things that do like this. Right. And I notice it's in every script that I do or every story that I write. It doesn't always have to be a script. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or every th- I'm finding the same themes. And that's why I usually, I, I usually tell writers, it probably takes you three to five scripts to figure out your full voice. Right. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because you, what I'm looking for is what, are, what is the thing you're talking about the most? You know, what's that? through line that you have throughout all the scripts. You still like, some people are like always talking about, you know, uh, marriage, (laughs) you know what I mean? Some people always talking about, you know, people who write young adult things are always talking about, you know, relationships or, you know, uh, um, they can't get a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever the thing, you know what I mean? Sometimes you'll see it in every script. One of the characters will be that character again. Right. You know what I mean? It's funny, you'll just start to see it so that's what I would suggest to writers go back, especially if you have more than several scripts, go back and look at that thing and see if you still have it in each script. Right. When I first started writing, I was talking about gangs a lot. Really, I was. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. I read like five or six scripts and I was talking about gangs. I was like, oh my God. It's like a romantic like comedy a sudden, and there's a gang in there. All of a sudden, they would come <laughs> across a gang. Like something right. would happen, right. you know, organically, thank God enough. But I would, I, it was in there and somebody brought it up to my attention. You notice you always, yeah. I was like, oh yeah. So I subconsciously made sure the next script didn't have it. And the, right. But I taught myself how to do that. Right, right. You know? <clears throat> so, which is another thing I want to talk about. I don't know how much I've ever talked about this before on this particular show. <clears throat> now, Kev, you, you mainly do TV now? You do, do both, yeah. right? Yeah, no, but I mean, you know, I've optioned things in the past right, right. feature-wise, but as far as, t- yeah, TV is my focus now. Yeah, For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the things that people don't talk about enough is speed Yeah. in TV. Like, I can't, I bet you've had this thing happen to you too. I meet so many feature writers, for all you feature writers <clears throat> who are moving into TV. They all want to write TV because it's the hot shit to do, yeah. but they've yet to practice how to actually write TV. Right. What I mean is this, and you know, being on shows, sometimes you're on a show and the showrunner would be like, Kev, you're going to do episode 104, right? You're like, cool, I got two weeks, <laughs> right? And so you just in a room taking your time doing, you know, right. helping everybody else break down, whatever, you know, whatever. All of a sudden, they come in a room a week before your scene's about to come up, and they're going to go, okay, by the way, we're moving 103 to 104, and vice versa. So I need your outline tomorrow. It's shit like that happens. Yep. So you need to be practicing now Mm -hmm. how to do that. What happened for me was in 2007, I got into the Cosby Fellowship at USC. 
<clears throat> um, it's no longer around anymore. They keep saying they're going to bring it back, but it's been gone for like five or six years, I think. And um, it's kind of like a precursor to like all the programs, mm. right? And the David Wyatt, who's one of the producers on like Martin and all that stuff, was my um, instructor. <clears throat> and I'm the type of person whenever I'm in a class, whether it was Truby and McKee and all those guys, I'm the first person to say, can I do? Right. Right. I just who I am. Right. I'm not, I don't have fear. You know, I'm just that dude. So um, I went first with my, so you posted, I think we had to like write a spec and then the spec we submitted, we correct. Hmm. Right. And so um, we were working on my next thing first. And he said, he said, Hilliard, oh, today's uh, Wednesday. I need your outline on Friday. And I went, when? I'm like, we're not even back here till Wednesday. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like casual about it. And I was like, fuck, right? He was teaching me a lesson, mm. right? So I went home and I fucking went to the coffee shop and I just stayed there and grinded and grinded and grinded and wrote this and told. And it was a, a show that I didn't even know if I could write well. And it was Boston Legal, you know? And I just had that sucker plan on rotate and I was listening to it and blah, blah, blah. And I wrote this fucking thing and turned it in on, you know, on, on, I think it was Monday or whatever it was, and um, on Friday. And Monday, I get an email going, hey, we need to talk. And I was like, damn, what did I do? So he shows up on Wednesday. He's like, Hill, I don't have hardly any notes. I was like, what? He's like, you killed that shit. I was like, what? I was like, I was just going with my instinct, mm -hmm. right? He said, exactly. He said, now you know you can write that fast. I didn't need it that fast, right? Right. He was testing me. So he did the same thing with my script when I had to turn in the script. You know, he, everybody else had a week. Me, he gave me a couple of days. He saw something special in me. Mm. You know what I mean? And so that's the type of thing that I'm saying to all those film writers out there who take six months to write a script. Right. <clears throat> you need to be practicing now. Can I do my outline in a couple of days? Can I write a story area in a couple of hours? Sometimes you need, you know what I mean? Whatever the thing is, you got to be getting there now. Right. You There's no room I mean? for writer's just, block. No. Yeah. You got to be testing yourself. So I had to jump off on that because it just occurred to me. So I apologize. Yeah. No, no, no. <clears throat> um, so let's see here. Uh, Cut to Black Film, what is one of your favorite scripts and what's one you've read the most? Have you, do you read, reread scripts that you've oh, already yeah. read? Oh, yeah. All right. What's so, one of your favorite scripts and what if, what's one that you've read the most? So one of my favorite scripts I mentioned earlier was Forrest Gump. Mm -hmm. I just think it's dope. You know, um, Toy Story is another one of my favorites. <clears throat> They're just perfect scripts. Right. You know, I mean, they literally we all hate to say that they hit the mark, but they really hit the mark. Right. You know, if, if you understand structure and story, it's just it goes on that up and down, you know, um, rise and fall. Everything is happening right around every 15 minutes. It's like something is going, it just keeps you going. And so um, those are probably two of my favorite, maybe Blade also, mm. um, Alien, of course, which is just, oh my God, it's fucking brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, um, and The Godfather is brilliant to me, you know. Um, um, I'm trying to think, one of my favorite more recent scripts is um the pilot to a walking dead i think it's perfect oh wow yeah yeah oh, Darabont. so yeah. good Darabont. i mean you can't touch him you know yeah he's, he's the beast <clears throat> um and then 
so here you were talking about writer's block a moment ago. Mm. I don't have writer's block. And the reason I don't have a writer's block is exactly because of this reason. I will pull out when I'm like sitting here going, I can't fucking think of what to do right now. Right. I will do a couple of different things. One, I'll pull out. Um, um, oh, another one of my, I have two other favorites, by the way. And you're going to, you're going to laugh when I tell you what they are. One is Dawn of the Dead with Bing Rams. Okay. That one in Mackay Pfeiffer. Yeah, yeah. It just, it just moves. It's great. <laughs> you know, it's just it's such great. a good read. And then um, the other one is 28 Days Later. Okay. Another zombie film. Uh, I'm, I love horror stuff and I love people don't know that about me, but I really, it's actually my first love, right. you know? And then the other one well, most is of 30 days of night. It's okay. That and 30 days of night. That's a vampire thing, right? Yeah. 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 But like, the, the zombie things, especially the end of the world, apocalyptic stuff, it re, most I of them are it. really explorations of humanity. Really? Correct. That's really what they're about. They just in mm-hmm. a world of zombies of man against zombie man against each other to survive. So no, there is definitely, it's, you know, a depth to them that I don't think most people who just like zombie movies think about. Right. Correct. And it's, 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 it's my favorite genre because I love that monster in the house thing gotcha. where it's not, it's not a necessarily it's just like the walking dead. It's not necessarily about the zombies. Yeah. It's really about the people, you know what I mean? Right. And it's, and, and I always love like those stories, like <clears throat> not a living dead is probably my favorite horror movie ever. And and mainly it's because I love well the black lead, but <laughs> mainly it's because I love people trapped in one place, yeah. and the monsters trying to get in. Yeah, and it's not about the monster trying to get in; it's about the people inside right. dealing the, with who's the strong person, the who's dynamics. The weak person. Yeah, it's all that. Yeah, that's that's what I love. You know yeah. what I mean? So those are my favorite stories. So I was saying <clears throat> the reason I don't have writer's block is because I'll pull out. 30 days of night and read like a whole sequence or something to be like, that's badass, dude. Right. Okay. 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 And I get my energy back. Gotcha. Like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like I said, you got to pull the passage. It moves you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but any one of those scripts, I could find something in there that'll make me go. Right. You know, I could find something in Forrest Gump. I could find something in Blade, you know what I mean? Whatever it is that'll make me go, oh shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm back. Right back to it again. Right. No, I think that's a great lesson in that. What, what is that old saying? Is that what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Right. So those writers who sit there pounding at the keyboard and, and can't break out, instead of like doing what you're saying, find something that you're passionate about, like a script or a film, and, mm-hmm. and, and drawing some inspiration or right. drawing some energy from that, they just sit there at the keyboard staring at the, the little blinking cursor right. and, and not go, getting ahead. So no, that's great. The other thing that I always talk about is there's here, here's a perfect example that I always say this since you had me on film, I'm going to do this. So any other job, Mm -hmm. this is not working and our job, watch this. I'm going to do this. What am I doing now? Daydreaming. I'm writing. See, that's, that's the difference between other jobs and our job. That's true. You see what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like somebody made a joke to me the other day um, or a couple weeks ago when I was in Palm Springs celebrating like my birthday and I was sitting by the pool. <clears throat> so I took in a photo of myself and go, oh, you're in Palm Springs. Man. Like, right. don't get it twisted. You see the pool and you see the photo. What you right. don't see is my computer sitting right there. Right, right. And what you don't see is my um, um, I'm listening through the pool because it's got the, the speakers in the pool. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening. I'm listening to the to the um, the book. That gotcha. I'm doing the book on for the next pitch. 
Nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like we're always moving forward. So I always say, if you can't read today, write. Yeah. If you can't write today, read. If you can't do either one of those, you can watch. So you can right. watch your movies and your TV show. And if you can't right. watch, you can listen. Right. So there's always three or four things you could be doing. That's good. It doesn't mean you're actually writing right. that still pushes you forward. Right. You know what I mean? No, that's yeah. that's great. And and I think those writers out there who feel guilty that they're not doing their five pages a day every single right. day, 365 days a year, can that's draw bad. from, right? Because there are other ways to be creative, to grow as a writer, to uh, get better, to develop new ideas and things like that that aren't necessarily sitting at the page. That's not to say that you can't not ever write, right? You, at some point, you need to take everything out there, the ideas and the passion, the energy, whatever you draw on, and sit down there and actually type, you know, pound that rock, so to speak. But that doesn't mean you need to do it every single day. Some of my best ideas come when I'm washing the dishes or when I'm, you know, in the shower or, you know, jogging right. or doing whatever, right? So, mm -hmm. no, that's that's good advice and it's something that I think a lot of emerging writers should definitely consider. But I think that, in essence, I'm changing my environment because I'm not focused on the, the blank screen anymore. So absolutely. I'm changing it to something else. So it's the same theory, at least. To yeah, me. no, Absolutely. Some, yeah, and again, sometimes it's just changing your environment. You're doing the exact same thing, but you're doing it somewhere else that could break that writer's block that you had, right? right. Um, and other writers that I've heard have said that <laughs> – I, I, I don't tend to have writer's block either, fortunately. Mm -hmm. But I've heard of other writers saying that uh, – and I think it's because of a trick that my wife's taught me, who uh, she's used to write novels, um, that try to – when you finish a day writing, do it in the middle – of something that you're actually writing. Don't stop when you're done because then you have to start over again the next day. Yeah, but you stop in the middle so that you know exactly where you're going to be writing the next day because right. you have to finish what you, the previous scene or wherever you are. Um, but another thing I think is um, write, if you're like stuck, write something else, write something, anything, write a letter, write an email, write just have the physical act of you typing on those keys something mm -hmm. that's coming out creatively from inside no matter what it is, and that can often inspire you to continually write something else, right? So even if you're not writing the thing you want, or write something bad. Like, if you don't know what to write, just start writing. And even if it turns out bad, at least you're putting that out there, and at some point it'll come back to you, right? I, um, think, I think also it's, it's about finding your own rhythm. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like one of the things that I've found, like I have a couple friends who come from features who are, you know, trying to do TV right now. Yeah. And, and one of the issues that I see that they're going to have is like one of them is a night out. Mm. Right. And that's when they write the best. And I'm like, you are going to have to start training your brain to right. be a little differently. How do you do that? That means you got to get up and fucking 10 o'clock in the morning and pretend like, right. You know, you're, going you're to in work. the room, Yeah, <clears throat> you know, because you can teach yourself a rhythm to do something new I do say like it's 21 days or something like that. You could work oh, it. it? Yeah. It, yeah, it's some, yeah. Some rule like that. And so before it becomes natural, you know, it's no longer a diet. It's a way of life. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So they say. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> but that's the thing that I'm always thinking about is how do you um, sustain, if you will, that, that Here, here's a perfect example. Like for me, I get up, I go to the gym in the morning pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. Right, it's how, it's how I keep my girlish figure. So shut up, there. <laughs> and so, and then I come to my office. I usually get here about twelve, 
30, maybe one, which is kind of late, right? And then, um, but I'm here until about six or seven. Mm -hmm. And I hardly ever go online unless I'm doing research or whatever. Sure. So actually I turned that shit off, which is why the other, like I always make a joke about, like I should probably have 30,000 people following me on Screenwriters Rant Room, right. as many people who listen to the show. <clears throat> I just don't make that time and effort for it. Right. <laughs> you know, it's me. It's yeah. not them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, but what's more important to me is to do my work. So my schedule is when I get it, as soon as I get here, I set my alarm. Mm. And my alarm says 45 minutes. So I will write for 45 minutes. It'll go off. And I, I have my weights in here and everything. And I'll, I'll work out just to change my brain. Mm. And mainly it's because I'm working on four or five things at once. Right. So I have to switch. And then I, ch I also change my soundtrack gotcha. to the tone of the thing that I'm working on. Cause I might be writing something from the 1800s and now I moved and now we're doing something from the 80s. Right. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So I have all 80s music playing or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Nice. So I'm constantly doing every 45 minutes. That alarm goes off. I work out 10 minutes. And it gets me in, and I hardly ever go outside except for to go to the bathroom. So I need it. Otherwise, I'm just sitting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's partly why I, I switch to the next thing I'm doing. You know, no, people and, that's, like, oh. and that's great because I think part of the problem, and I know a lot of people will sort of structure, oh, I'll do a half hour of writing and 10 minutes off a break. And I'll do half hour, an hour of writing and 10 minutes off. Or I'll do two hours of writing and then I'll take an hour lunch. But what you're saying is it's and I think it's great, which I may actually start doing some of that, is you're still writing, but you're changing the the music, you're changing the the what you're doing. Like you can be lifting weights and listening to something while you're, you know, thinking of what you're about sure. right, you know. So you're doing all these different things still being productive as opposed to the one thing taking a break, one thing taking a break. You're still cause which still has its sort of repetition. So yeah. I think what you what you're explaining is actually pretty fascinating. It was something I figured out maybe, I don't know, 10 to 12 years ago. Yeah. Like I just, I, I was starting to get all these different, you know, assignments and stuff to do. And I was like, how am I going to balance, yeah. you know, do, and doing my own stuff at the same time. And I was like, I'm never going to move forward. I was like, oh, I only need about a good 45 minutes. Like, that's how my brain works. Right. After that, I start going, Ugh. yeah, you know, like, and, you know, like when we're in writer's room, sometimes, you know, an hour and a half, they're like, all right, <laughs> go away for 15 minutes, right. come back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so to me, it's the same theory. When I'm by myself, I, I'm concentrating even more. Right. So 45 minutes, I'm like, okay, let me come up for air. Right. Uh, let me get the push-ups, some abs, boom, boom, boom. Ooh, all right, I'm ready to go. Turn that yeah. music on. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's my theory. At least. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because I saw something fairly recently. I don't remember where it came from, like the Wall Street Journal or something like that, that said the average office worker is productive for about 28 minutes a day in an eight-hour oh, workday. Wow. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Wow. And I was like, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, but they they calculated. I I don't know how, how they did their research, but I remember it was a legitimate publication. Um, it was CNBC or or Wall Street Journal, I think, or something like that. And yeah, to, like something like twenty eight minutes. The people, the average person is productive in any given workday. And I thought, wow, but that's, that's why they say like a lot of those you know uh, tech companies, you know, in yeah. Silicon Valley, and people that ride around on skateboards and stuff. It keeps you loose. It keeps yeah. you. You're not stiff. You don't have to wear a suit. It, it keeps you much more relaxed. Right. You can sit in there and play baseball or basketball while you're working. Right. It, it, it keeps you moving. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. that, that, that would be my lifestyle if I were 
you know, in some sort of corporate world. Like yeah. <laughs> um, Cut to Black Film says also, um, as a black man, I feel you about needing to push yourself to be better. So, so glad I'm listening. Thank you for being here. Yes, I agree. Oh, Thank you for Cut being black. here. Appreciate it, buddy. Whoever uh, that is. Um, and uh, I want to talk to you. Well, let's go before we, we get too far ahead. Let's uh, mm-hmm. talk about pivoting your big pivot. What What is it that you are pivoting to that you can okay. share that, that we this, all want to hear about? This is an interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know me, I keep it real, Cam. So yeah. I'm not afraid to tell people the real, real, because I feel like somebody out there may be going through it. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when people see us and they see us, you know, in these, um, you know, on these podcasts and they see that we have, you know, some credits behind us or whatever, they think we're, everything's perfect. And it's not always true. Sure. <clears throat> you know, and, and I'm not afraid to talk about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So where I'm going with that is, is so... My last big show was almost three years ago, hmm. right? What happens is, but since three years, I've been developing shows for people. You're like, wow, that person? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and none of those shows have sold. <clears throat> but what happens is you get positioned. Like I was talking to um, Dalen Rodriguez about this uh, a couple weeks ago. And sometimes what happens is you get these deals. They're called if come deals. Mm-hmm. They fucking suck, by the way. So in essence, it works like this. So they bring on Kevin. I'm the producer. I bring in Kevin to write this project for us, yeah. right? So we send him back this if come deal. And when you read it, you're like, oh, wow, I'm going to be co-EP on the show when it sells. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, I'm going to make this amount of money a week when it goes into production. Right. Wow, I'm going to do this and this. And it tells you all the goodies that you're going to get right? if it comes, right? So... You're so excited to work with said producer or company that you go, I'll take the risk, Mm. right? Mm. I know I just got paid for that other little thing I did, so I'll be okay for a minute, right? right? Well, then that minute goes from two months to six months to nine months Mm -hmm. to a year and a half to sometimes two years, depending on what the project is. Well, I had like five or six of those, right, where all of them kept taking time. Yeah. Taking, you know what I mean? <clears throat> and so, and a lot of it is because the Rona got in the way. Yeah. A year and a half of your three years gap is not anything you could have done anything about. You know, it is but, what it but, is. but it happened. No, sure. <clears throat> and sure. so, and yeah. so in this situation, I lost a year and a half. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, with several different projects that look like, man, it's like, why can't we get this thing with this team? Right. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they didn't. And so now I'm in another pivot hmm. where a week or two before my birthday, my birthday is September 5th. So say happy birthday to me. Happy um, birthday. <laughs> you supposed to sing it, Kev. Come on now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kidding. Um, so I reached, I, I just had an epiphany. I was like, I was in Scottsdale. I was sitting by the pool and I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to go back to just staffing on the show. I'm tired. Yeah. You know, I'm burnt. It's, it sounds great, you know, developing, mm. but I'm going to tell you before the Rona, <clears throat> I would show up at, you know, some of these companies I'm developing for and you'd go to the fucking conference room and conference table, six mm. other execs and they're overlooking Hollywood Boulevard or whatever, you know, the, the, the sign. And you're like, why is everybody in this room getting paid big time and I'm not making a dime? Mm. 
Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, little yeah. shit like that. Mm-hmm. But you stay in there because you're like, well, it's this producer. Right. Well, it's whatever. And if it's not this one, then the next, you're always hoping something else is going to change. Right. You know what I mean? And so I was riding on that energy for all that time. So I was like, you know what? It's time for me to go back to a show. So here's what happens with Hollywood. And you know this, Ken. That last show that I was on, mm-hmm. They're like, well, where you been? Like, bitch, I've been developing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For this big ass producer. Yeah. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and here's where they were trying to make me come in at. Mm. Because guess what? Which is something we skipped over. I've been producing like almost 30 something projects for the last, I don't know, since 2009. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Developing and becoming this dude who is pretty dangerous on the set. Mm. You know what I mean? I know my way around. Yeah. You know, pre, post, don't matter. You can send me anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, but yet they're like, well, the last show you were on, you were here. Mm. I'm like, that was three years ago. Right. They're like, yeah, but it wasn't network stuff. So unfortunately, we're going to have to keep you here. Mm. Right. So you start to get stuck in that. Yeah. Right. And of course, we all know our egos are in the way. You know, so I had to really sit and talk to myself. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I was so ready to come in at this co-EP on this show and possibly EP on that show that I was like, great, I get to possibly run this one. If this one happens, you know, whatever. And now I got to go back to what? (laughs) You know, my ego, I had to set it straight. Mm -hmm. And so I hope somebody's getting some game out of this because this is real shit. Um you have to put your ego in check sometimes. Yeah. And you have to be willing to, what, what I told myself was this thing. Mm-hmm. And I had, a, I had a talk with Malcolm Spellman about this. <clears throat> you know, people like, I, I think he came in on Empire. I want to say he came in a co-producer maybe. I can't remember, something like that. <clears throat> and in two years, he was the EP. You know, it was something mm-hmm. like that. And I went, damn it, I got the same type of skills like that. You know? Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll just go on a show wherever they put me and just go, boom, y'all need me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that was my mindset that I had to change. Right. You know what I mean? My ego's in the way going, hell, you can't be out there. People thinking you're just this level. Mm-hmm. You got to be whatever. And I was like, I also got to pay my bills. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So fuck what you heard. <laughs> I got stuff to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so that's what I'm going through right now. And I'm sure somebody else can relate to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, <laughs> you know, I think it's not just writers in your position, I think, who have done so much outside of being on a TV staff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, I've spoken to showrunners who have no problem hiring, you know, because the question comes up a lot. What about older writers, writers who are not out of college, writers who may have been, you know, worked for the Department of Homeland Security or been a su- superior court judge or done this or that, been, uh, you know, a general in the army and right. and they want to make that transition. Showrunners have no problem with it except for sometimes you have to swallow that ego. Yeah, you may have been a colonel commanding troops in battle, but you're a staff writer, right? And that's just 
the nature of it. And if you're willing to do that, then you can probably work your way up pretty quickly because you obviously have a different skill set and you're probably much more mature and blah, 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 blah. But ultimately, yeah, I mean. Uh, it's it's like, no, it's staying in your lane, which yeah. is a hard, <clears throat> it's a hard thing it to is. do when you, when you, when you, you know, I'm 51 years old right now. Right. And brother just looked 28. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> vampires, you know, we biting them next. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering and what that so, was. <laughs> and so, matter of fact, I need to go feed. Now I think about it. Um, <laughs> and so, so it's, it's one of those things where we're constantly dealing with um, how comfortable are we going to be? Yeah. Cause you got to remember, I have so many people who I hate to say, cause it sounds you know, uh, better than, but some people who look up to me because of my position, the guild sure. and all this other that for them to now see me, if I got staffed again and they pushed me way back down again, I'd be like, it, it, because I'm gonna tell you when, even when I was on that last show yeah. three years ago and people were like, Oh, you're only that. Like people have said that to me. Really? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and oh yeah. Because when they talk to me, they yeah. can tell I'm not just sure. a lower level writer. <laughs> you know, I clearly right. know more than that. Right. You know what I mean? And so so that's been the be- like getting in my head. How am I deal with that again? But it's also funny, though, because no matter although I find it funny because a lot of emerging writers, to, if they think that process, it's only because they all think that they should be showrunners. Right. Oh, yeah. The emerg- sure. every emerging writer out there is like, oh, I, where can I go to to get my show made, and where can I be the showrunner? Right? It's like, <laughs> you, no, 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 you don't understand. But it's funny because again, talking to upper levels, even I've talked to co eps, I've talked to you know, not necessarily showrunners, although showrunners even that that can't get a second show made or you know their next oh, yeah. show, it's always a challenge. Right. But anywhere from co producer all the way up to supervising and co eps, I talk to them, and all of them think that they should be further along in their career than they are, right? And they feel bad about it. Like, what is it about me? You know, they, they think they worry about the appearance to the industry, to other people. Uh, they feel bad because it's like, I, I feel like I should be further along. And they feel guilty because maybe I went to, to, you know, Martha's Vineyard last weekend instead of working harder to get further along. <laughs> and it's like, you don't understand. Even at the staff writer level, even before that, 95% of the audience, of your audience, my audience, of, of those emerging screenwriters out there would kill to be in your position, right? To be that staff writer. They'd be like, what is he complaining about? He's paid to work on television, to, to make things. You know, it, it, whatever the title it is, it's like they would kill to be a working writer, period. So if you put that into context, it's like mm-hmm. you're doing well, right? Ninety five percent of the people out there, and it always—I always laugh, and it's sort of an exaggeration. But I go back to that movie Swingers mm-hmm. with uh, 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 John Favreau. There's a scene with John Favreau and and Ron Livingston when they're golfing, I guess, at the end. And Ron Livingston's talking about he auditioned for Goofy or something like that at Disneyland, mm-hmm. and it's like he didn't get the job. He's like, man, I would have killed for that job. Right. But at the beginning of the movie, he was like, yeah, they want me to audition for goofy at the theme park. Right. It's like, but now he's like at the end, he's like, I would kill for that job. Mm-hmm. Um, and in it, there's a scene where John Favreau is like, man, I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing with my career. He's an actor. His agent represents clowns or something like that. Party clowns. And he's like, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, I haven't gotten anywhere. And Ron Livingston, who's also an actor says, you know, I came out here to LA because of you, because I saw how successful you were. I wanted to be like you, 
right? You have an agent. You have, you know, you've been on a show or something like that, even if it's a bit part, whatever. You're where I want to be. And all John Favreau can think of is, like, you know, my agent's not good enough. You know, what I've done is not good enough. I need to be further ahead. And yet there's people looking up to him, right? So but this is this is real talk. Though. I'm glad we're having this conversation. Yeah. I'm actually I'm actually sitting there smiling because um, I always say, you know, I'm sure somebody else needed to hear it. I needed to hear it. Hmm. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so, you know, it's it's true. And I think it's also it's the difficult thing about being in this business. The more successful you get, yeah. the more successful friends you have, mm-hmm. you know, and the more you're comparing yourself. Keeping to up with the Joneses. You try your best yeah. not to, you know what I mean? But yep. you can't help it. It's in your face. Every yep. fucking other month, somebody's on the cover of Deadline right. or every week. You know what I mean? Every week, one of right. our friends can have his own Deadline every fucking week. Or worse, you, know I mean? you hear a story about some young person, no offense to young people, yeah. some 20-something-year-old who got a, a show, they, they, they were in script pipeline competition or some right. Comp, t- right. TV pilot competition. It got picked up and now it's in development and it's going to, you know, got... They're shooting a pilot for it. And it's like, this guy's 27. He came out of nowhere, right? How is this, you know, it's, it's, you can't compare yourself to anybody else. Everyone has a different path, right? Yeah, it's funny, but things like that don't bother me because those are so one in a million. No, yeah, that's true. But, but, but it is definitely, in my opinion, when you're somebody in LA who knows a lot of people, yeah, um, it's, it's more difficult when it's constantly around you. Right. Like I, I was interviewing Zahir, uh, Zahir McKee mm-hmm. this morning and um, we were talking about how our, we were in the same position a couple of years ago. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now he's a running show. You know, it's like little things like that, you know, where I just watch like, uh, like, like we were talking about Lena and Ben Court Jones yeah. and Amy and Noby. Like all these people are now EPs. It can turn on a <laughs> dime know? and it can change yeah. overnight literally sure. overnight because when you're in most jobs in the world like you don't go from being a receptionist to being you know uh president of production of whatever it just doesn't happen right. but you could easily go from story editor on a tv series and then in the hiatus sell a show and you're absolutely. now co-showrunner right absolutely. that could absolutely happen but it doesn't happen absolutely. in most fields right, right. so you know, if you look at it in those that context, it's like your That's time will come, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it'll come when it's when it, when it, it's meant to be, right? And everything yeah. that you've done to this point, all the stuff you've learned, all the things that that you've put into it, all the hours and hours and hundreds of hours you've watched and listened and researched and worked, will all come into play. That that show that you get. All, you'll remember all those things and whether or not actually whether or not you remember or not it'll all come into play and it'll all make that show as good as it can be whatever it happens to be and the longer I, you're I on that about, road the more you're learning the more you're growing i talk about that i talk about this all the time yeah that that odd job or that weird thing you did before oh, yeah. is oh it's always gonna come back and be something that's useful to you yeah you know so i'm always telling writers whether they're older or younger and they come talk to me and i'm always like look Remember that thing you told me? You yeah. should be leading with that because yeah. that's fascinating. Really? Yeah. They want to know that I was a second star general and whatever? I'm like, yeah, bitch, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, it all comes back. So, you know, again, where you are now is not anywhere near where you're you you you're going to be a year from now. And a year from, you know, so, again, it can change on a dime. That's the reason that, that I think people should have uh, hope and, and really not 
feel get down on where you're why you're not where you need to be because again you could be neck and neck in terms of career trajectory with somebody mm-hmm. and it's like well how do they move up to co-producer while yeah. i'm you know at story editor yeah mm-hmm. but six months from now you sell a pilot and you're a showrunner a co-showrunner right I've and then yeah. you know right yeah. and it happens and they're at the producer level still or maybe they get a lateral move and they're still co-producer and then they're gonna be like damn you know how did hilliard get a, that sold and i'm only a co-producer level for the second exactly. se- second season in a row what the heck <laughs> right so it I mean it's, it is what it is you know yeah. believe in yourself believe in your work it'll 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 work out Indeed, you know, indeed. It's, it's not like a, I said, I, I, I started off by saying, you know, I'm getting pressured to move. Yeah. So I think that's, there's a lot of sure. things in play, Yeah. you know? So, um, yeah, but I mean, I, I have a, I have a, I have a great life, you know, I'm blessed. I get a great office. I mean, I'm things, things are good otherwise, you know, and, you know, I still have a couple things in play, you know, um, all it takes two, is one. Yeah. Two of those projects, but you know, two of those producers are busy and they're going to be busy for like the next six months. So it's like, put me on a show then. If they, Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've always found that it's, it's better to be working towards your goal somewhere, anywhere along the pipeline. Uh, It's funny because uh, uh, Matt Pitts, who is a co-EP on Westworld Mm -hmm. told me how he got into the industry and he wanted to work in TV but the only job you could get was as a driver for Technicolor when he first started, right? So he drove around the film cans. That's what he did. But that led to him meeting somebody who got him an apprentice job as an apprentice in post-production or an assistant in post-production, which led to a job as an assistant to, I think it was J.J. Abrams or something like that, which sort of led to him being, you know, getting opportunities to pitch and write and blah, blah, blah. And now he's where he is, all starting off as a driver a technicolor just to be in the business somewhere, anywhere, because you couldn't get a job on a show. But yet, you know, it, so he had a sort of a winding path, but that's being working in the industry because maybe it could literally be you working as a staff writer or a story editor or whatever it happens to be on a show. But through that, you meet an executive on that show who has another, you know, who was looking for a show just like the one you're I was just thinking about that this morning. You know, I literally was thinking about that. You don't know where it's coming from. Just keep whatever opportunities present themselves, take them and run with it. Right. That's, that's, that's that's my thought. That's game. I appreciate that. Um, Let's see here. Just a couple comments. Francine Daniel says, shout out to Hilliard for being the best mentor ever. Uh, And he does keep it real. The truth always love him to pieces. Yeah, I do too. Hilliard's a good guy. Uh, David Wales says, happy birthday. Mookie Mook says, sometimes taking a step back is the best step you can make. That's true. You never know how life may unfold for you. The step back can provide stability. That's very, very true. Um, So we're running a little short on time. So I just wanted to get your last sort of advice. Just, you know, a quick piece of advice for those emerging writers out there who are starting out, who want to be the next Hilliard guest or want to work right on the next show you get made. Uh, what would you say to them? Well, <clears throat> I would say, first of all, be fearless. That's a good advice. You know, I, I, and I mean that. And I, I'm just taking that from what somebody told of me when I think of Lena and some of these other people that I know, they're just fearless. Like there's yeah. just nothing they don't think they can do. Yeah. You know, and the more you roll in that, the more people believe that, you know, and the more, yeah. um, um, 
and also make sure you know exactly what kind of writer you are. That doesn't mean you know what the voice is, hmm. but you know what kind of writer you are. You know the types of stories you like to tell. Right. Because <clears throat> those are the things you can lean into and you lean into it with excitement when you talk about them. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, those are the things that I think really, really make somebody stand out. Um, one other thing I was going to say was um, if you are ever blessed to be staffed on a show, and this may not be every show, this is pretty much every show. Right. You have to be in the position where you are willing to tell them your worst nightmares. You know, and yeah. that's even in a comedy room. Yeah. You know, dark, comedy comes out of dark shit. And yeah. so you may not want somebody to know you're, you're, you come from a family of alcoholics, for example. <clears throat> no, lean in on that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's the thing that I'm telling you. Most people think, oh, nobody wants to know that bad stuff about me. Right. I'm saying that because I didn't used to lean in with telling the story of where I came from. Mm-hmm. I would skip all that and go, I was in San Francisco and I moved to LA. I would, you know what I mean? Yeah. And one day I started talking about growing up in, you know, this neighborhood and dangerous minds. And he was like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I got this job and I was like, oh shit, I need to lead with that shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, but it was, it, I, luckily I learned it immediately, you know, at, at the point. So I always try to encourage writers to be, to be the person who isn't afraid to say the stuff you don't think you want anymore. Right. No, it's good. You know? Be fearless. Yeah. Be fearless. Um, yeah. And and read. God damn it, read. Yeah, read. I, I know. I know you guys hate to do it, and a lot of us do. But you'll be surprised. The more you do, the more you'll see the flaws in your own stuff. Yeah. No, that's you great know? advice. And, and you'll start to understand the pattern yeah. and the way that people write and yeah. the styles and the, and the choices that they make and the, the way they introduce characters, the way the first the first uh, uh, line of dialogue somebody says and why. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just start to see the connections in scripts that are, you know, huge. You go, oh, yeah, okay. It needs to come from this point of view, whatever. Right. And the more you do that, your scripts will grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope that was a little bit good. Yeah, no, it's two pieces of advice or something like that. Okay. Um, be sure to follow Hilliard on Twitter. It's at Hilliard Guess. Um, the link will be below. And uh, as a reminder, next week we're on Monday instead of Saturday. That's next Monday the 18th, not two days from now. And our guest is lit manager Jeff Portnoy from Bellevue Productions. That's Monday, October 18th at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Thank you all for joining today. Thank you, Hilliard. Thank you, buddy. And uh, everyone, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks.